Chapter Eleven of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Chapter Eleven. All excitements run to love in women of a certain, let us not say age, but youth, says the professor. An electrical current passing through a coil of wire makes a magnet of a bar of iron lying within it, but not touching it. So a woman is turned into a love magnet by a tingling current of life running round her. I should like to see one of them balanced on a pivot properly adjusted and watch if she did not turn so as to point north and south as she would if the love currents are like those of the earth our mother this passage indicates exactly the point at which avadne had now arrived and where she was pausing the attempt to return to her books had been far from successful her eye would traverse page after page without transferring a single record to her brain and she would sit with one open in her lap by the hour together not absorbed in thought but lost in feeling she was both glad and sad at the same time glad in her youth and strength and sad in the sense of something wanting what was it if she had well she longed and knew not wherefore had the world nothing she might live to care for no second self to say her evening prayer for the poor little bird loved the old nest but she had unconsciously outgrown it and was perplexed to find no ease or comfort in it any more she certainly entertained the idea of marriage at this time she had acquired a sort of notion from her friends that it was good to marry and her own inclinations seconded the suggestion she meant to marry when she should find the right man but the difficulty of choice disturbed her she had still much of the spirit which made her at twelve see nothing but nonsense in the turn gentle hermit of the dale drivel and she was quite prepared to decide with her mind she never took her heart into consideration or the possibility of being overcome by a feeling which is stronger than reason she made her future husband a subject of prayer however she prayed that he might be an upright man that he might come to her soon she even asked for some sign by which she should know him this was during the morning service in church one day not the little one on the cliff which was only a chapel of ease but the parish church to which the whole family went regularly her thoughts had wandered away from the lesson that was being read to this subject of private devotion and as she formulated the desire for a sign for some certainty by which she might know the man whom the dear lord intended to be her husband she looked up and from the other side of the aisle she met a glance that abashed her she looked away but her eyes were drawn back inevitably and this time the glance of those other eyes enlightened her her heart bounded her face flushed this was a sign she was sure of it she had felt nothing like it before and although she never raised her eyes again she thrilled through the rest of the service to the consciousness that there 
not many yards away her future husband sat and sighed for her after the service the subject of her thoughts claimed her father's acquaintance and was introduced by him to her as major calhoun he looked about thirty-eight and was a big blond man with a heavy moustache and a delicate skin that flushed easily his hair was thin on the forehead in a few more years he would be bald there mr frayling asked him to lunch and evadne sat beside him she scarcely spoke a word the whole time or looked at him but she knew that he looked at her and she glowed and was glad the little church on the cliff seemed a long way off and out in the cold now she was sorry for mr borthwick she had full faith in the sign was not the fact that major calhoun whom she had never even heard of in her life before was sitting beside her at that moment confirmation strong if any were wanting but she asked no more after lunch her father carried his guest off to smoke and she went up to her own room to be alone and sat in the sun by the open window with her head resting on the back of the chair looking up at the sky and sighed and smiled and clasped her hands to her breast and reveled in sensations major calhoun had been staying with a neighboring county gentleman but she found when she met him again at afternoon tea that her father had persuaded him to come to frailingay for some shooting he was to go back that night and returned to them the following tuesday evadne heard of the arrangement in silence and unsurprised had he gone and not returned she would have wondered but this sudden admission of a stranger to the family circle although unusual was not unprecedented at frailingay where after it was certain that you knew the right people pleasant manners were the only passport necessary to secure a footing of easy intimacy and besides it was inevitable that the sign might be fulfilled so evadne folded her hands as it were and calmly awaited the course of events not doubting for a moment that she knew exactly what the course was to be she did not actually see much of major calhoun in the days that followed although when he was not out shooting he was always beside her but such timid glances as she stole satisfied her, and she heard her mother say what a fine-looking man he was, and her father emphatically pronounced him to be a very good fellow. He was Irish by his mother's side, Scotch by his father's, but much more Irish than Scotch by predilection, and it was his mother tongue he spoke, exaggerating the accent slightly to heighten the effect of a tender speech or a good story with the latter he kept mr frayling well entertained and evadne he plied with the former on every possible occasion his visit was to have been for a few days only but it extended itself to some weeks at the end of which time evadne had accepted him the engagement had been announced in the proper papers mrs frayling was radiant congratulations poured in and everybody concerned was in a state of pleasurable excitement from morning till night. Mrs. Frayling was an affectionate woman, and it was touching to see her writing fluent letters of announcement to her many friends, 
the smiles on her lips broken by ominous quiverings now and then and a handkerchief held crumpled in her left hand and growing gradually damper as she proceeded with the happy tears that threatened her neat epistle with blots and blisters it has been the prettiest ideal to us onlookers she wrote to lady adeline love at first sight with both of them and their first glimpse of each other was in church which we all take to be the happiest omen that god's blessing is upon them and will sanctify their union evadne says little but there is such a delicate tinge of colour in her cheeks always and such a happy light in her eyes that i cannot help looking at her george is senior major and will command the regiment in a very short time and his means are quite ample enough for them to begin upon there is twenty years difference in their ages which sounds too much theoretically but practically when you see them together you never think of it he is very handsome every inch a soldier and an irishman with all an irishman's brightness and wit and altogether the most taking manners i tell avadne i am quite in love with him myself he is a thoroughly good churchman too which is a great blessing never misses a service and it is a beautiful sight to see him kneeling beside avadne as rapt and intent as she is he was rather wild as a young man i am sorry to say but he has been quite frank about all that to mr frayling and there is nothing now we can object to in fact we think he is exactly suited to avadne and we are thoroughly satisfied in every way you can imagine that i find it hard to part with her but i always knew it would be the case as soon as she came out and so was prepared in a way still that will not lessen the wrench when it comes but of course i must not consider my own feelings when the dear child's happiness is in question and i think that long engagements are a mistake and as there is really no reason why they should wait they are to be married at the end of next month which gives us only six weeks to get the trousseau we are going to town at once to see about it and i think that probably the ceremony will take place there too it would be such a business at Frailingay, with all the tenants and everything and altogether one has to consider expense but do write at once and promise me that we may expect you and mr hamilton wells and the dear twins wherever it is in fact i believe avadne is writing to theodore at this moment to ask him to be her page and angelica will of course be a bridesmaid during the first days of her absorbing passion avadne's devotion to god was intensified sing to the lord a new song was forever on her lips when the question of her engagement came to be mooted she had had a long talk with her father following a still longer talk which he had with major calhoun and you are satisfied with my choice father she said you consider george in every respect a suitable husband for me in all respects my dear he answered heartily he is a fine manly fellow there was nothing in his past life to which i should object she ventured timidly oh nothing nothing he assured her he has been perfectly straightforward about himself and i am satisfied that he will make you an excellent husband 
it was all the assurance she required and after she had received it she gave herself up to her happiness without a doubt and unreservedly the time flew major calhoun's leave expired and he was obliged to return to his regiment at shorncliffe but they wrote to each other every day and this constant communion was a new source of delight to avadney just before they left Fralingay, she went to see her aunt mrs orton begg the latter had sprained her ankle severely and would therefore not be able to go to avadney's wedding she lived in morningquest and had a little house in the close there morningquest was only twenty miles from Fralingay, but the trains were tiresomely slow and did not run in connection so that it took as long to get there as it did to go to london and people might live their lives in Fralingay and know nothing of morningquest mrs ortenbeg's husband was buried in the old cathedral city and she lived there to be near his grave she could never tear herself away from it for long together the light of her life had gone out when he died and was buried with him but the light of her life fed upon the blessed hope of immortality burnt brighter every day her existence in the quiet close was a very peaceful dreamy one soothed by the chime uplifted by the sight of the beautiful old cathedral and regulated by its service evadne found her lying on the couch beside an open window in the drawing-room which was a long low room running the full width of the house and with a window at either end one looking up at the close to the north the other to the south into a high-walled old-fashioned flower-garden and this was the one near which mrs orton begg was lying i think i should turn to the cathedral aunt olive avadne said i do her aunt answered but not at this time of day i travel round with the sun it would fill my mind with beautiful thoughts to live here avadne said looking up at the lonely spire reverently i have no doubt that your mind is always full of beautiful thoughts her aunt rejoined smiling but i know what you mean there are thoughts carved on those dumb grey stones which can only come to us from such a source of inspiration the sincerity of the old workmen their love and their reverence were wrought into all they produced and if only we hold our own minds in the right attitude we receive something of their grace do you remember that passage of longfellow's ah from what agonies of heart and brain what exaltations trampling on despair what tenderness what tears what hate of wrong what passionate outcry of a soul in pain uprose this poem of the earth and air this medieval miracle sitting alone here sometimes i seem to feel it all all the capacity for loving sacrifice and all the energy of human passion which wrought itself into that beautiful offering of its devotion and made it acceptable but tell me avadne are you very happy i am too happy i think auntie but i can't talk about it i must keep the consciousness of it close in my own heart and guard it jealously lest i dissipate any atom of it by attempting to describe it do you think then that love is such a delicate thing that the slightest exposure will destroy it 
I don't know what I think, but the feeling is so fresh now, Auntie, I am afraid to run the risk of uttering a word, or hearing one, that might tarnish it. She strolled out into the garden during the afternoon, and sat on a high-backed chair in the shade of the old brick wall, with eyes half-closed, and a smile hovering about her lips. The wall was curtained with canariensis, Virginia creeper rich in autumn tints, ivy, and giant nasturtiums. Great sunflowers grew up against it, and a row of single dahlias, of every possible hue, crowded up close to the sunflowers. They made a background to the girl's slender figure. She sat there a long time, happily absorbed, and Mrs. Orton Begg's memory, as she watched her, slipped back inevitably to her own love days, till tears came of the inward supplication that Avodney's future might never know the terrible blight which had fallen upon her own life. Avodney walked through the village on her way back to Frelingay. A young woman, with a baby in her arms, was standing at the door of her cottage, looking out as she passed, and she stopped to speak to her. The child held out his little arms, and kicked and crowed to be taken, and when his mother had entrusted him to Avodney, he clasped her tight round the neck, and nibbling her cheek with his warm, moist mouth, sending a delicious thrill through every fibre of her body, a first foretaste of maternity. She hurried on to hide her emotion, but all the way home there was a singing in her heart, a certainty of joys undreamt of hitherto, the tenderest, sweetest, most womanly joys, her own house, her own husband, her own children, perhaps, it all lay in that, her own. End of chapter 11